0: I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. I'm your host, Rose Skeeters. Today, I wanted to say Happy New Year again and I wanted to jump in and talk about something that has been on my heart lately as I am doing this work with folks and doing these podcasts, recording our video podcasts in the Mighty Network. As I put out content and I hear people's stories, it just inspires me and gives me so much hope to hear some of the real changes that people's made. people have made. I mean, Mimi's recovery story last week was just incredible, wasn't it? Oh, right. Before I forget, I do want to apologize because this is a Monday Mindset Minute podcast and it's Tuesday. So why are you getting it today? Well, two reasons. Reason number one is because I recorded this yesterday, but I recorded 30 minutes of nothing because I had my mic on mute. So that's a kind of a silly rosesm for today for you guys. So I apologize that this is late and I'm also going to begin to release the podcast in 2024 on Tuesday because I thought Tuesday Truths was much more fitting and genuine to my character and I also always say my Monday Mindset Minute uh, incorrectly (laughs) and come up with all these different names for it. So we're going to go with Tuesday Truth and you will get an episode every Tuesday. I have more recovery stories coming and I'm super stoked about that. Okay. So back to what's been on my heart lately. It is incredibly concerning to me how mean I was when I was in my BPD episodes. And it really pains me to see how mean my clients can be in their BPD episodes. One of the reasons for that is that if you're out there and you have BPD, I mean, when you're in the middle of an episode, you don't always intend to be mean. I mean, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes that's the case. And I don't want to sit here and say that I wasn't intentionally mean in the past. That wouldn't be true. And I do know that there were times where I truly did not understand my role in a scenario, that I wasn't able to see the big picture and shift my focus from being rejected or being abandoned to what was actually going on around me. Jay mentioned something interesting today. He said we can focus inward or we can focus outward. And when we're focused inward, we're thinking about ourselves, our fears, our worries, our anxieties, the things that scare us, the things that are going on on our task list, all of the things we're not going to be able to get done, right? People leaving us and rejecting us and abandoning us. But when we're focused outward, outwardly we are focused on other people and being in the moment and living our lives and not allowing life to just pass us by. This is a discipline. It's very difficult to shift focus from rejection, abandonment, and discomfort or achieving comfort to outward focus of how can I give limitless love to everyone. And in order to give limitless love You have to be able to shift that focus because in order to receive love, we must give love. And one of the things that I had to learn to do in recovery is to give love to others instead of expecting love to be given to me or for me to try to take or control the love of someone else by manipulating or coercing them into doing the thing that I thought they needed to do to prove to me that they love me. And when my focus was on rejection, abandonment, and regaining comfort, just having comfort, whether that been, was uh, physical comfort, emotional comfort, just in general, like doing things that are comfortable for me in my box, you know, that when my focus was on those things, I couldn't think, didn't think, wouldn't, couldn't, shouldn't, I don't know, not willing, but I wasn't thinking about other people. And in that, I was mean. Right. So what do I mean by that? How was I mean? Well, I just can recall some times where, you know, I'm hanging out with Jay's family, let's just say, and it's a holiday and, it, and, and we're spending time there. We're on summer vacation and he's chosen to be with me, chosen to take me there, chosen to share his family with me, chosen to show the people that he loves who I am. And I sit down and he walks away. And I'm in this environment and all of a sudden because my focus is on me and rejection and abandonment and comfort and inward, I automatically think he's abandoning me. He doesn't love me enough to want to spend time with me. He brings me here and he doesn't want to be with me. Or I also shifted to thinking I might never ever get this again. He doesn't want me to be a part of this, right? And now that seems really valid in the moment. Because in the moment, I really believe, like, if you love me, you will hold my hand through this event. Because you know I'm socially anxious and you know you need to be here with me. Don't walk away from me. How many people can relate to that? I would see so many hands going up right now, I bet. So relatable. Whether it be a family gathering or an outing or going to the club or going to uh, the mall. Or just being in a place where you're anxious, you're expecting that other person to give you something. And if you shift your focus... From rejection and abandonment then that allows you to love for me to have honored Jay for me to have loved him with limitless love I could have sat there and thought oh my gosh I'm grateful I'm so grateful that I'm here with him and it must have taken him a lot to get me here because he went through what he went through in life and he's building new relationships with his family and he You know, is bringing me into that dynamic, and that's a lot of work. And he's trusting that I'm going to represent our relationship well. And he's, you know, sharing a vulnerable part of himself. I want to perform for him. I want to be good for him. I want him to know that I have his back. Limitless love, abandonment. He walked away from me. He doesn't love me. You know, the problem with that is one takes me towards truth, Tuesday truth, right? And one takes me away from truth. Which one takes me away from truth? Well, the abandonment focus takes me away from truth because in order for me to be abandoned, if I look at the definition, it means I've been deserted. He, nobody deserted me. He just got up to go and talk to someone in another room. That's not desertin', deserting me, right? Deserting me would be like, you know, my mother drops me off on a doorstep somewhere and, and never comes back and I never hear from her again. And I'm sorry to those of you who that's happened to. That's awful. That's deserting. But when I start to live in my fear and I start to focus on not being rejected or abandoned, I am no longer in the moment. You see how quickly that happens? I'm not living my life. I'm window shopping my life. I'm watching my life pass me by. in another story about something that I'm scared might happen, that maybe did happen, or maybe it didn't happen and I'm just scared it will happen. But, you know, that's a big point of consideration for you in your recovery journey very important that you consider, you know, where your focus is. Because that narrative that I created, it's mean. And I didn't know that then. I mean, a lot of my work has been figuring out like, geez, like, I'm not the only one who has problems. And I'm not the only one who has feelings and other people who are in my life, they deserve reciprocity. Right? In order to have a a relationship with someone, I can't just expect them to feed me. I need to feed them as well. I need to fill their cup, call them and say, hey, how are you doing today? What are you doing today? How's the weather today? And I need to connect with them and show up for them and be present with them. And when they do something that I don't like, I need to remember their history so that I don't attack them. It's very key. That I do these things because that's what recovery was made of. That's how you stop splitting on people and having favorite hosts and attaching to people like ticks, right? because you start to love other people. Now when I was in that moment, you couldn't have told me that that wasn't abandonment with Jay in this family situation like this was a real story this happened right years ago. But unfortunately, I, Because I was so focused on uh, abandonment and rejection, I wasn't able to give limitless love. I wasn't able to look and say, hey, how can I honor you, right? And when he explained that to me, that it's hurtful to him when I said those things, it was like... Part of it, I heard it, but I wasn't comprehending it and I didn't want to and I didn't understand, right? It was, again, incomprehensible to me because I was in an emotionally dysregulated moment. But in effect, what that does is that hurts him. It's bullying him. It's not giving love. So at the same time, I'm giving hatred. He's giving love, right? How is it hatred? Well, It really takes a lot of guts and bullying, uh, you know, kind of like a mean spirit to accuse someone of doing something that they're not doing to validate your own irrational story or fear. That's really mean, right? Now, if we go to a park somewhere and he just up and leaves me there and I don't know how to get home, I have no way home, not answering, just shunning me. Okay, that's a different story. He deserted me. Let's live in that narrative. You deserted me and here are the actions that I can see that are objective objective facts that are observable and those are the things that I want you to focus on so you can see that you actually did desert me. But if I'm in the middle of being with your family or I'm sitting right with you or you wanted to spend part of our anniversary with friends, with me to show me variety in our relationship in a good time, I'm not going to tell you that you rejected me and abandoned me because I'm going to shift my focus to you. Because in order for me to give, to receive limitless love, I need to give limitless love. I want to be able to look at someone in, the, in their history, in their life, and I want to be able to love them through whatever they're going through. Because if I can do that, then I'm not thinking about abandonment. And the love that I'm going to be able to give to someone is a love that they wouldn't want to leave me because it's a safe love and it's a secure love and it's a love that takes them into consideration. So that is my challenge to you as you walk through recovery in 2024. Mimi said the thing that drove her recovery is understanding and hearing the truth and then taking action. And so as we shift from the Monday Mindset Minute into Tuesday Truth, I really want you to think about whether or not you have been open-minded to truth and why you haven't. If you haven't, you know, or you're not able to understand what I'm saying right now, or you feel offended, or you feel hurt, I want you to remember that the truth of the the behaviors are the things that start to be a catalyst for this recovery walk. And then after that, you have to think, okay, well, what do I do? Right? I mean, I know that there's more to recovery than that. Okay. I'm saying, though, that one thing that you can do with the other work that you're doing in recovery is this, you can look at abandonment narrative, and you can be open minded and shift your focus to living outwardly. So you can stop being mean to the people that love you. When they say I love you, don't say no, you don't. There's no way you could ever love me the way I love you. No, you don't. You like that girl's picture. No, you don't. You don't spend nearly as much time with me as I spend with you. No, you don't. You'd rather watch your own movie. You don't want to do what I want to do ever. You never want to go out, right? Speaking in absolutes, speaking in hyperboles That's mean. And it hurts the people that you love. So shift your focus and see if you can give limitless love. When your partner forgets to buy the milk, or your favorite drink at the store and comes home without it, instead of punishing them or thinking that that's a sign that they don't love you because you would have done it for them, slow down. Slow down and think, who is this person? Do they deserve to be punished every time they make a mistake? Can I love them through their mistake? Let me consider what loving them through their mistake and being saying to them, I'm with you, I'm for you, What would that do? What would that kind of love do to your relationship? Say to yourself, how can I show my loved one that I am with them and for them? Does that mean I do whatever they want all the time? No, that it means that you look at who they are and you start learning to do that because that's going to be a process. It won't happen overnight. Right now you're thinking about you and what you want and you're thinking about not being left and rejected and abandoned and you know how awful things feel. And that's part of the diagnosis. So in order to shift our focus, we have to be patient with the process, patient with ourselves, and we have to be willing to look at other people as whole beings. So love is an action, right? Love isn't just a feeling. It can be, but steady, stable love is an action. In order to receive steady, stable, limitless love, you must give steady, stable, limitless love. So the first point of consideration in 2024 is whether or not you're willing to embark on a journey where you open your mind. You might still be wearing those lenses, those rejection abandonment comfort lenses, but I just want you to tip them down to the tip of your nose and look over the lenses to be open minded to receive objective reality so that you can. Work with your partner when they say, I love you. Work to say, I love you too. Thank you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Or when they say, I really want you here with me. Instead of saying, no, you don't. Because if you did, blah, 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 blah. Reason, reason, reason. Say, thank you. I really want to be here with you. Thank you for choosing me. Because it makes them feel good about themselves. It makes them feel like you love them it is an action step that you can take. Love is an action. And so I encourage you to begin your journey in 2024, as I was saying a moment ago, by opening your mind to the truth of whether or not you're willing to give limitless love to other people because what you give, you will receive. If I give mean, hatred, the odds that I'm going to receive limitless love back over a long period of time is low. It's hard. It wears on people. I know that you know it was really difficult for Jay when I didn't honor who he was and say, you're more important. You're more important than my comfort, my abandonment narrative, my fears. You are, and I'm going to take a risk on you. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to love you with limitless love, right? I know that if I couldn't have done that, resentment would have built. And then the relationship would have dissolved or there would have been more arguments or fights and tumultuous um, activity. So this is your consideration. All right, I'm going to pause here. There's a book by Bob Goff called Love Does. And there's an excerpt in the beginning of the book that I really want to read on the podcast. It's going to take a bit of time or so for me to read the excerpt. So what I'm going to do is pause here for an ad. And then if you'd like to hear the excerpt from this book that talks about how to love someone by saying I'm with you and I'm for you and how powerful that experience can be. Again, this is Love Does by Bob Goff. I'll put that in the show notes. So pause and stay tuned here for this advertisement. And if you'd like to join me on hearing this excerpt from the book, that's a beautiful example of empathy, of cognitive empathy, of limitless love kind of come back right after this break are you tired of feeling frustrated resentful or disconnected from your family friends and partner thrive mind body llc mindset coaching and counseling can help you Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com. I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. I'm with you. Chapter 1, page 1. Love Does excerpt. Bob Goff. At the beginning of my junior year, I decided it was time to leave high school and make the move to Yosemite. I had a down vest, two red bandanas, a pair of rock climbing shoes, $75 and a VW Bug. What else did I need? I'd find work in the valley and spend my off time in the mountains. More out of courtesy than anything, I swung by Randy's house first thing on a Sunday morning to say goodbye and to let him know I was leaving. I knocked on the door, and after a long couple minutes, Randy answered. He was groggy and bedheaded, and I had obviously woken him. I gave him the rundown on what I was doing. All the while, Randy stood patiently in the doorway, trying his best to suppress a puzzled expression. You're leaving soon, he asked, when I had finished. Yeah, right now, actually, I said as I straightened my back and barreled my chest to show I meant business. Look, Randy, it's time for me to get out of here. I just came by to thank you for hanging out with me and being a great friend. Randy kept his earnest and concerned face, but he didn't say a word. Oh, hey, I inserted. Will you tell your girlfriend goodbye for me, too? You know, when you see her next? Again, no words from Randy. He had this weird, faraway look on his face like he was looking right through me. He snapped back into our conversation. Hey, Bob, would you wait here for a second while I check something out? No sweat, Randy. I had nothing but time now. What did I care? Randy disappeared for a few minutes into the house while I stood awkwardly on his porch with my hands in my pockets. When he came back to the door, he had a tattered backpack hanging over his shoulder by one frayed strap and a sleeping bag under his other arm. He was focused and direct. All he said was this, Bob, I'm with you. Something in his words rang right through me. He didn't lecture me about how I was blowing it and throwing opportunity away by leaving high school. He didn't tell me I was a fool and that my idea would fall off the tracks on the way to the launch pad. He didn't tell me I would surely crater even if I did briefly lift off. He was resolute, unequivocal, and had no agenda. He was with me. Despite the kind gesture, it was pretty odd to think he wanted to come along. Um, sure, I guess. I said half-heartedly. You sure? Yeah, Bob, I'm in, if you wouldn't mind. What if I caught a ride with you? Randy stood with a determined look. So let me get this straight. You want to drive to Yosemite with me right now? Yep, that's right. I can find my way back after we get there and you get settled in. I'm not sure why I accepted Randy's generous self-invitation. I guess it's because it caught me totally off guard. No one had ever expressed an interest in me like that before. Sure, I stammered as we both stood awkwardly on his stoop. Uh, I guess we should get going then. And with that, Randy closed the door to his little house and we walked side by side to my VW bug. He plopped into the passenger seat and threw his stuff on top of mine on the back seat. We got to Yosemite before nightfall and it occurred to me for the first time we had no place to stay. We had a couple of sleeping bags, no tent, and very little money, so we snuck in through the back of a platform tent set up at one of the pay-per-night campsites. We slept toward the back so we could make our escape if an upstanding tent renter showed up for the night. Fortunately, no one came, and the next morning we woke up to a chilly but glorious morning in Yosemite Valley. To the north of us, El Capitan soared 3,000 feet straight up like a huge granite soldier half dome dominated the landscape to the east these were my companions this was my cathedral i was in the valleyside living room of my new home now it was time to get a job and settle in rolled over in my sleeping bag thinking about how great it was to have randy with me i was a little nervous but also excited about my newfound freedom i was a man now i felt my chin for any sign of whiskers nothing yet but i shaved anyway just in case Randy and I dusted off the stiffness that comes with a tent camping and went to the Camp Curry Company cafeteria. I thought I could get a job flipping pancakes in the morning, which would leave the rest of the day to climb. I finished the job application in front of the manager, handed it to him, and he gave it right back, sternly shaking his head no. He didn't even pretend to be interested, but I was secretly thankful that he at least humored me enough to let me apply. No matter. Undaunted, I went to one of the rock climbing outfitters with a storefront in the valley. I told them I'd do whatever they needed. I was sure that where I lacked in experience, I could make up for by what I lacked, maturity or raw intelligence. They said that they didn't have any work for me either, and that jobs were tight and almost impossible to get in the valley. I walked out of the store discouraged and looked at Randy, leaning against the VW. Rather than feeding my discouragement or saying, I told you so, Randy fed my soul with words of truth and perspective. Bob, you can do this thing if you want. You have the stuff it takes to pull it off. These guys don't know what they're missing. Let's try a few more places. And then, just like he had said the day before on his porch, Randy reiterated his, st- his statement. Either way, Bob, I'm with you. His words gave me tremendous comfort. I applied at nearly every business in the valley and struck out every time. There were simply no jobs available and no hope of one opening up soon. The evening approached as the sun sank low in the hills. It was one of those sunsets displaying the kinds of vibrant colors that would make a painter's canvas look over-ambitious. But I was still heartened. This sunset was real. I was in Yosemite. My friend was with me. And I still had a shot at my dream. Randy and I headed back to the campsite and snuck into the same tent we had commandeered the night before. I didn't sleep well or long as I sorted through my very short list of options. There was no work. I had no money. I was a high school dropout. Randy snored and I had to go to the bathroom. That about covered my list of problems from least to greatest. The next morning came with a crispness that only fueled my anxiety. Randy stirred next to me in his sleeping bag, gave a couple phlegm-filled coughs, and said in a much too cheery voice, Let's go climb some rocks! We headed to the foot of one of the monolith cliffs and bouldered for a couple hours, talking trash to each other about who was a better climber. By midday, we headed back to the valley to see if any businesses had miraculously decided to expand their operations overnight. It felt like the shop owners had quietly met somewhere when they learned that I was arriving in the valley and were conspiring against me to dash my dreams. The same rocks I had come to climb were now beginning to look like barricades. I applied at the remaining small storefronts I hadn't tried the day before. Do I even need to waste my breath to tell you what happened? Randy and I sat on the front bumper of my VW Bug and leaned back against its flimsy and slightly rusted hood that buckled slightly under our weight. The sun was getting low in the valley again, and the granite cliffs I'd hoped to count as neighbors were casting long, dark shadows on the ground, each of the deepening shadows pointing toward the road exiting the valley. I only had a few bucks left after buying gas, and Randy offered to spring for dinner. As we walked back out to the car after eating, I turned to Randy and said, You know, Randy, you've been great coming out here with me and everything, but it looks like I'm striking out. I think what I'll do is head back and finish up high school. After a short pause, Randy said again what had become a comfort to me throughout the trip. Man, whatever you decide, just know that either way, I'm with you, Bob. Randy had been with me, and I could tell that he was with me in spirit as much as... As, he, "'as with his presence. "'He was committed to me, and he believed in me. "'I wasn't a project. I was his friend. "'We didn't talk much as we left Yosemite Valley "'or for much of the way home, for that matter. "'A dream of mine had just checked into hospice, "'and Randy was sensitive enough to know "'that I needed some margin to think. "'We drove for five or six quiet hours. "'Every once in a while, Randy would check on me "'in his confident upbeat voice. "'Hey, how are you doing, Bob?' We pulled down some familiar streets and into Randy's driveway. There was another car next to Randy's in the drive that looked like his girlfriend's. She visited often. We walked up to the front door and he opened it. I walked in behind Randy, uninvited, but somehow I still felt welcome. On the floor, I noticed a stack of plates and some wrapping paper, a coffee maker, some glasses. On the couch, there was a microwave, half in a box. I didn't understand at first. Had Randy just had a birthday? Was it his girlfriend's? A microwave seemed like a weird way to celebrate someone's arrival into the world. I knew Randy wasn't moving because there wouldn't be wrapping paper. Then, from around the corner, the other half of this couple bounded out and threw her arms around Randy. Welcome home, honey. Then the nickel dropped. I felt both sick and choked up in an instant. I realized that these were wedding presents on the floor. Randy and his girlfriend had just gotten married. When I had knocked on Randy's door on that Sunday morning, Randy didn't see just a high school kid who had disrupted the beginning of his marriage. He saw a kid who was about to jump the tracks. Instead of spending the early days of his marriage with his bride, he spent it with me, sneaking into the back of a tent. Why? It was because Randy loved me. He saw the need and he did something about it. He didn't just say he was for me or with me. He was actually present with me. Okay, so that's the end of the excerpt. What a powerful story. There's this guy, Randy, who he'd just gotten married and he knew that his friend came to his doorstop and he knew he needed a mentor. He knew he needed support and he had to sacrifice. Well, he chose to sacrifice what he had, what he wanted to do, spend time with his new wife, right? A newlywed kid shows up and he's like for a couple of days, right? In Yosemite camping, bouldering with this kid because he said, Hey, you know what? Limitless love. I'm with you and I'm for you. I want to love you the way you were created to be loved because you are unique, you matter, and I'm going to do this for you. And in loving Bob with limitless love, Bob was able to find his way back to who he is. It took patience on the part of Randy, self-sacrifice, and truly showing Bob, I am with you and I am for you. So that is your challenge for 2024. I am with you and I am for you. Begin to give that love to those around you, Pay attention to when you're not giving it so that you can bring this concept into your mindful awareness if you are at the beginning of your recovery journey and keep chipping away at it. I am hosting a group beginning January 26th. If you'd like to sign up for that, you can head on over to our website at thriveonlinecounseling.com or skeetersstrength.com and click on support groups. You can also give us a call or a text at 844-984-7483 or shoot me an email at rose at skeetersstrength.com dot com or j j a y at dot com. Happy New Year, everybody! Until next Tuesday for another Tuesday Truth.